Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. If you'd like to give to Life Church, you can do so by texting the word LC Give to 43506. And now, a message from one of our pastors. Uh, so as 2020 starts, um, I don't know about you, but there are times when uh, th- there are certain seasons, um, maybe the calendar changes, kind of like December 31 to January 1, and uh, it becomes this moment for us to evaluate, right? And uh, there's actually, this is actually an effect, and it's called the fresh start effect. I'm not sure if you knew this or not. It's actually been studied, and it is a real thing. That any time that there's a, a break in the calendar or um, let's say even, uh, let's say a birthday or an anniversary, it, it's an opportunity for us to look at the way things were and go, I don't like the way that they were, so let me begin changing them. And now is as good a time as any to start it. It could be as simple as Sunday to Monday. Like uh, you wake up on Monday morning and go, this is the day that Monday is fun, you know, or whatever it is. So. Uh, but they actually, they took a couple of uh, studies that I read. Uh, one of them was uh, from Google, and uh, they found this out, that people are more likely to Google the term, I love that Google is now like, it's, it's a verb, right? To Google the term diet on the first day of the week or month, in the month of January, or on the first weekday after a federal holiday, uh, it doesn't say this, where you've probably eaten way more than you should, right? And so, you, and so that's what they show, is that at the start of any kind of the beginning moment, uh, when it comes to a new era or something like that, a week or a month or a year, that's when you go, oh man, I made some bad decisions. Now it's time to make some good decisions. That's called the fresh start effect. Another study that they had was of undergraduates and their visits to the school gym or whatever they had, the workout area uh, for, uh, for the college, uh, college age. And uh, this is what they found, um, you know, because they, they have to kind of swipe their card with their IDs and things to get into the gym. And they found that the uh, students were more likely to work out early in the month, uh, early in a week, and that was it. And then it would kind of drop off during that time. Immediately after school breaks, because that's when they go, yeah, I got to get back that body that, you know, whatever. So immediately after school breaks and immediately after a birthday. So college students immediately after birthday have the sense within them that, yes, I've got to get things right. So I'm going to go check into the gym and do that. And that held true for all ages, except for when they turned 21. There was no difference (laughs) from the day before to the day after in checking into the gym at the age of 21. So I wonder why that is. I also found... I also found a website. Now, this blew my mind as I'm kind of studying through this. found this website called stick.com, S-T-I-C-K-K.com. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. You can look it up. It's, it's, a, it's a real thing. And you go there and you put in your goal or your dream or the activity that you're saying, this is what I'm going to accomplish at this fresh start in my life. And then what happens is you put money on the line. And so you put money either towards a charity that you love and say, you know, when I finish this, uh, then, I, then this money will be automatically deducted uh, from there. But what they have found, and there's accountability and you, you get like people that help you and, and all that, but what they have found is the better way to do it is the anti-charity, that you sign yourself up to give to a charity that you do not agree with at all, and then if you don't complete the goal, then that money goes to that charity that you don't agree with. And they found that to be highly motivating for people to actually accomplish their goals. So stick, S-T-I-C-K-K.com. I I found that very interesting. Um, And so this whole idea of fresh starts, though, is where we are, certainly as we begin the year 2020. 
And I don't know about you, but every year when I, when I kind of reach that December, uh, I look back on goals, I look back on how I think things should have been, and I realize they weren't all the way that I thought they were going to turn out. I didn't stick to all of these goals and all these patterns in my life that I was really hoping to do. And so God, now it's 2020. And this is the year that some of these things are going to change. This is the year that, that now these things are going to be lined up correctly. Some of you have plans this year maybe to travel. How many of you do have plans like 2020 this year? I'm going to travel a little bit more than I did in the past. Man, that's a fantastic goal. That's wonderful. Uh, let's see. Uh, time management. How many of you are like, yes, this is the year I finally get control of my calendar? My hand is up, and then uh, tomorrow my hand will be down. So that's, uh, that's it. Uh, let's see. Parenting. This is the year you're going to get it all figured out. And you said, this is it. This is the year. All right, one of you. All right, that's great. <laughs> that is great. I gave up on that a long time ago. Organization. Some of you are going to watch uh, those shows. I can't remember the name of the lady that does all the organizing on like one of the, one of the reality shows or whatever. Like, this is the year I'm going to binge watch, and I'm going to learn how to organize my entire home. Anybody have goals to organize your home? All right, up in the balcony. We're filled with the balcony up there. That's great. Uh, this is the year I'm going to diet. Yeah, a few of you. Okay, good. <laughs> this year I'm going to exercise. This is, this is it. Yes. I, uh, I told Shelly first service before walking up the stair, I was, because uh, um, I'm training for the, for the Comrades Marathon, that 56 miler in, in June, and very excited about that. And uh, as I'm training for that yesterday and the day before, it's 15 miles between those two days, getting ready. And I leaned over to Shelly, I said, I don't know if I can make it up the stairs today. My legs are hurting. It was just kind of one of those moments. Some of you are saying, uh, this is the year I'm going to use coupons. And I'm going to get my finances under control. That's, this is the year I'm going to do this. Some of you, it's a job change. Some of you, getting control of an addiction. Some of you, loving my spouse more. I'm going to lead differently. I'm going to get tickets to the opening of Top Gun when it comes out. You know, whatever that is, these are the goals of my life. And so we look at the beginning of the year, and this is as good a time as any to start new things. And to say, God, this is, this is the moment that you have, have given to, to us, I think, as a church to begin to evaluate and say, God, what are you calling us to do? And I think ultimately, and I hope ultimately for us, as we are sitting here uh, today at Life Church um, and those that are watching online, I hope that as this new year uh, uh, begins, that one of the areas of your life that you're saying, I would like to change or I'd like to get under control or would like to make some improvements is, uh, in is that of your spiritual life, right? This really becomes that thing. And I have this kind of uh, core belief for me that uh, my spiritual life is the most important life that I have because everything stems from my spiritual life. Now, uh, like I said, I mean, I, I, do, I do go out and do physical activity and I run. And that's for a purpose and, uh, and all of that. But what I have found is if my spiritual life is in order, for some reason, weirdly, my, my exercise life is actually better. I don't know why that is the case. Same with finances. You can get all your financial stuff in order, but, but if your spiritual life is not in order, I think that that financial success uh, can, can become uh, something that grabs a hold of our hearts rather than becomes generosity out of our hearts, right? And so our spiritual life is absolutely vital. Um, and sometimes we can think that there is, and we've got to be very careful with this, there's not a formula that if, if I pray uh, an hour a day, then, then God has to then uh, provide all the finances I could ever need, give me the body that I've always wanted, give me the family. You know what I'm saying? That's not the case. But what I have found is there is a correlation between my spiritual life 
and really the rest of my life. And so I want to focus on my spiritual life in 2020. Um, there's also another belief uh, that I have is that God has uh, created us to stand out as believers, that God has not created us to blend in. I really don't think that God has created us to only just kind of blend into the surroundings around us, but there has got to be something different about our lives that marks us, that says we are different than the world around us. Uh, in the short promo video that we've showed in the past, you've got uh, Norm that sits on the couch, the old Norm, and then the new Norm uh, shows up and introduces himself as the new Norm, and then old Norm gets up and walks away. But what I have found uh, to be unfortunately the case uh, all too often is uh, the new Norm sits down on the couch with old Norm, old Norm pushes new Norm off of the couch, and then sleeps on the old couch, right? That's kind of the way that it seems to happen in my own life, where it's very difficult to change. It's very difficult to get new normals in my life, but nonetheless, I think God has called us to stand out in this decision that we have in 2020 that it's not going to be the same as 2019, that there are certain things in our life that we need to get a hold of and grasp a hold of so that it's different. And our spiritual life, obviously, is right there at the core. So over the next month, what we're going to be talking about is some practices that we can have in our life uh, that will begin to transform us so that we are not conformed, right? We're not looking like the rest of the world. And uh, these are, today we're going to be talking about the Word of God, going about it a little bit different way than, uh, than I probably have uh, ever before that I can remember. Next week, we're going to be talking about prayer, and uh, we'll be talking about the week of prayer and, and everything that starts next week. Uh, also going to be talking about grace. How many of you know we need more grace in our lives, that that would be the new normal in our lives? And then finally, talking about fasting. And uh, there's certain, certain fad side of fasting right now, but there is so much more to what fasting is and should be in our spiritual life. So over the next month, uh, we're going to be uh, dealing through this. But is this really true? Does God really want us to stand out rather than blend in? Uh, Romans chapter 12 says this, and this is Paul talking to, uh, uh, to the church. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. I think some other verses say, don't, uh, don't be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so within here, I see a, I see a couple of things here, uh, and this whole big idea of don't be conformed, be transformed. Don't blend in. Be someone who stands out. Don't, don't just be part of the crowd, but allow God to use you uniquely as he has created you in this world. Uh, as a kid, and maybe even as an adult, I uh, I've, have enjoyed uh, playing with Play-Doh. And uh, anybody with me, especially the smell of like opening up like a new, fresh Play-Doh, there's just something about that. They need to make like a cologne out of that, walk around and just be awesome. Oh, yes, Play-Doh. Um, but one of the things with Play-Doh is, well, what, what do you do with that? You take the Play-Doh, and uh, I remember as a kid, we would have the, uh, the, the, the form that you would kind of squash it into, and you'd, you'd kind of push it down there and squash it, and you'd open it up, and you'd have whatever that form is, a hammer or what, you know, a person or whatever. And then uh, you would do that again, and that person would look the same as the other Play-Doh, and, and they would all have kind of the same form and the same shape. And that's what the world does to us all too easily. And we allow the world to conform us to its mold. 
We allow the world to conform us to, uh, to uh, the, that thinking that the world has, whether it's consumerism or uh, any number of things uh, that we can think about. But God doesn't want us to be conformed. He wants us to be transformed. So how does this transformation take place? Well, there's a couple of different ways that I see in what Paul wrote uh, to the church, a couple of different ways. The very first one is this idea of surrender. It says, by the grace of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. That's surrender. Really quickly, what is the universal sign of surrender? Everybody do that universal sign of surrender really quickly. Some of you don't know what that is. Here is the universal sign of surrender, <laughs> right? Both hands up, all right? So what does that signify in that moment? Both hands up, right? It's I surrender, I give it all. And that's honestly one of the reasons why I love worship and why I love the fact that we lift hands here at Life Church, right? It's just part of who we are, that we lift our hands. This is a sign of surrender. Now, when we as followers of Christ surrender, I believe it's a surrender up. Uh, oftentimes, surrender is defeat, right? That, that I have been defeated, somebody has overpowered and conquered me, so I am surrendering to the one who's more powerful. But the surrender that we do as believers is not that kind of mentality. The surrender that we have is we surrender up and we're acknowledging God's ultimate power and sovereignty and grace and mercy and forgiveness in our lives. And that's why I love it during worship. God, we have no one else to surrender to but you. Because God, this is this life that you have given us, Lord, you are the one who provided it to us in the first place. So God, we surrender ourselves to you. And this is the first part of transformation. That's our worship. And that worship doesn't have to happen only here on a Sunday morning. That worship can happen in your car. Please don't do the sign of surrender in your car, though, while there are two hands wheeled, 10 and 2, 10 and 2, right? Uh, you can do that in your heart, but I don't want you to do that in your heart here. We need to lift our hands, right? Um, but you can uh, worship at, at work. It's possible. You can worship and nobody knows you're worshiping in that moment. You can worship at home. You can worship among friends, worship in your life groups, you know, wherever that is, you can worship. And that'd be that, that beginning point as we surrender, that beginning point of transformation. And the second part that Paul talks about here is this idea of the renewing of our minds. Renewing of our minds. I don't know about you, but there is some, I've heard this phrase before, it's not mine, but this, this idea of stinking thinking uh, that goes on inside my own brain uh, where I don't always think the way that I should. I don't think properly. Uh, something will grab a hold of my heart, grab my attention, and uh, begin thinking down roads and go, no, 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 I can't go down that road, right? And so you start changing the way you're thinking. So how do we renew our minds? Because this is kind of a renewal of our, of our whole way of thinking, how we think about our marriage, how we think about our, our, uh, our kids, how we think about our workplace, our school, whatever that is. There's this renewing of our minds that has to take place. We need a new mind. We need a new mind. Now, unfortunately, we haven't arrived at a place in science where we can take and literally have a new mind, although one day that's probably going to happen, right? We don't have that ability to have a new mind placed within us. But there's this great passage of scripture, absolutely love, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's what it says. And this is true of believers. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Jesus. We can think like Jesus. Have you ever thought about that before? That we can think 
like Jesus. Well, how does this work? Because that mind isn't physically changed, right? But there's this transformation that begins happening. Paul, a little bit earlier in this passage, this is what he says. He says, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We can understand. And so then he goes on, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. So the spirit of God within us, in that transformation that happens within us, doesn't just affect our spirits. Doesn't just affect, it affects the way we think. It affects the way we perceive the world around us. It changes the way that we interact to the, the stimuli in the world around us and how we respond to that because we have a new mind, and that is the mind of Christ. God wants us to engage our minds with our spiritual life. Oftentimes, we, we kind of put those two things out. I need to study, and I need to have a prayer life. I need, to, um, I need to work on skills, and then I need to have a spiritual life. God wants all of those things together in our lives. Um, so how do we then know what is the mind of Christ? How do we grasp what Jesus thought? I mean, I have a hard enough time really grasping what I think, let alone the divine thoughts of Jesus Christ, I have a hard enough time understanding what my wife thinks. Any guys with me? Yes, all right. All right, we just, we, we struggle with that. This becomes, I want to know her mind. <laughs> I'm getting the look, I better move on. Um, so let's go for a moment into Jesus' life. And I don't know about you, but, but um, when I come up against troubles in my life, when I come up against uh, pushback from the world around me, when temptations happen, when struggles are going on and circumstances are not the way I think they should be, that's when I begin to understand what I'm thinking, what I'm believing, because uh, what's in me gets kind of pushed out and kind of overflows. There's this point in Jesus' life that reveals this same idea. And here we go. Matthew chapter 4. We want to know what Jesus' mind is like and how he thinks. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter, the devil, came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Hopefully you caught something in there of the mind of Christ. Hopefully you caught this, this one little phrase that I think will transform us for 2020 Well, in the heat of the moment, where did Jesus turn? It is written. Where do you turn in the heat of the moment? When you need strength to overcome temptation, 
when you need wisdom to overcome a, an argument that's against you, that, uh, that's putting you in a false light, when, when you need wisdom, when there's a struggle at work, when you need wisdom as a parent, when you need uh, wisdom as a follower of Christ, where do you turn? Jesus, when he was bumped, he said, it is written. That implies that he knew the word. And for him, the word would have been the Old Testament, right? Those are the, the parchments and the scrolls that he had. That was the Old Testament. That's what he knew. For us, it's expanded, and we have the New Testament. And so we have all of these words that Jesus spoke. We have all of these at our fingertips. But do we respond when we are pushed with the phrase, it is written? And I would say the challenge for us is for us in 2020 to be like Jesus. If Jesus knew the word, shouldn't we? If Jesus knew the word, if Jesus referred to the word and didn't refer to his own power or anything, he said it is written. And one thing to keep in mind is the devil threw scripture at him. Right? The devil threw scripture at him, but Jesus knew the context. And he knew and he because he was studied in the word of God. This, folks, for us, for 2020, for Life Church Utah, we have to know the word of God. We have to know it. Um, I love Psalm 119, and this really helps me. It says, I've tre I treasure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Right? This becomes these decisions that we make day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute at times, second after second, it seems like. And the question is, do we have the word of God deep and rich within our lives? And some of us don't, don't really know the word of God, and so we, we find it hard to start. We find it hard to, to make that first leap into the word of God. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you a, uh, show you a video um, that's going to help us understand the arc of Scripture and then our role and what, what God has called for us to play, and all this is found in the word of God. Turn your attention to the screens, please. The Bible is an important book. But it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity, or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge, and as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately, a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so, God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. We zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, 
a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms, apart from God. Even when their best people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile, and that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends, and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil, than even death itself. So now humanity's presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human, or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day, when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. So that's the scope of Scripture. And I don't know if you've ever seen it put that way before, but we have a role, folks, when it comes to God's presence in this world. And our role is more than just coming on a Sunday morning and sitting, uh, sitting and warming up a chair. God has called us to do much, much more than that, and that we participate with him in bringing light to dark places. And so in 2020, here's the challenge. Uh, I don't know about you, but I want God to speak to me uh, in 2020, just like he's done in times past, right? I, I want God to continue to speak and communicate and continue to, to be in my life. And I hope that's your prayer as well. How do we do this?
We pray that today's message is a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.